Please open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. And I'm going to read and preach verses 24 and 25 this morning. These verses are about hope. They are about us as believers hoping in our full redemption that Christ will bring when he returns. You can see when you arrive at the passage that the word hope is mentioned five times in just two verses. So Paul's very focused on this theme here. And he talks about the relationship between hope and salvation and the relationship between hope and patience. I think we've all experienced before how hard it is to wait patiently for something. We've all been stuck in traffic before. Or we've been in a drive through line that's just not moving. Or we've been on hold on the phone long enough to have the background music pretty much memorized. Or kids, I'm sure it's been hard for you before to wait for your turn for something. Whether it be your turn on the trampoline or your turn playing Foursquare, or your turn on the piano, perhaps. All of us have a hard time waiting patiently for various things, and so often that's because of the sin in our hearts. But wouldn't it be even harder to wait for something if you had no assurance that you were going to get what you were waiting for? If you had no assurance that that traffic was going to clear up or that drive through line was going to start moving or that it was going to be your turn soon on the trampoline, Wouldn't it be even harder to wait if you had no hope? It's hard to wait without hope. But if you have hope, you can hang in there. If you have hope, then you can wait patiently. That's part of what we're going to think about from these verses about hope. First, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us, and then we'll begin together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truthfulness and the wisdom of your word. We thank you that we can lean our whole weight onto it and it'll hold. The weight of our trust, the weight of our whole lives, the weight of our eternal destiny. Your word is true and we pray that as we come to it again together this morning that you would teach us and rebuke us and correct us, and train us in righteousness. Lord, show us our sin, and show us our Savior, and help us to hope in you, and to wait patiently for your return. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Reading Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. These are the words of God. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. As you can see in your sermon notes there, we're going to look at what Paul says about the relationship between hope and salvation in verse 24, and then what he says about hope and patience in verse 25. 
So first, hope and salvation. He says at the beginning of verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. For in this hope we were saved. What does he mean by this hope? This hope. Well, look at the previous verse, verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So this hope refers to our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Or let's call it full redemption for short. Paul says, for in this hope, the hope of full redemption, we were saved. We were saved by God through faith, but we were saved in hope, in this hope of full redemption. So that means that hope and salvation go together. You can't separate the two. We weren't saved into hopelessness. We were saved out of hopelessness and into hope. When God saved us, the new heart he gave us had hope in it. And it pumps hope into our bloodstream as we live the Christian life. Hope and salvation go together. In this hope, we were saved. There's a past element to our salvation. We were justified in the past. There's a present element to our salvation. We are being sanctified in the present. But there's also a future element to our salvation. We will be glorified in the future. And that future element has always been there. That hope has always been a part of the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. We may struggle with hopelessness at times, but we are never without hope because hope and salvation go together. Like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress had the key called promise even though he was in despair in the dungeon of Doubting Castle. So we have a key called hope. And no matter what kind of dungeon we find ourselves in, we are never without that key. We are never without hope as believers. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, as a side note here, in light of the fact that Paul says we were saved, let me just underscore the fact that each of us as Christians were saved at some point in the past. We're not born saved. We're born lost. And we get saved when God regenerates our heart and enables us to respond to the gospel in repentance and faith. So we were lost, and then we were saved. So when were you saved? Some of you, like me, may not be sure exactly when you were saved. You can't point to a date on the calendar, especially if you were raised in a Christian home. But if you don't know exactly when you were saved, that's okay. That's quite all right. If you can't remember a day when you didn't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that's a good thing. That's a wonderful blessing. Children, we hope and we pray 
that that's what you'll be able to say when you grow up. That for as long as you remember, you've known you were a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus Christ is your Savior by faith. But none of us, children or adults, should think that we are sort of automatically saved just because our parents were Christians, just because we were baptized, just because we went to church or to Sunday school. None of those things can save us. Only Jesus can save us. And he tells us that if we turn from our sins and turn to him in faith, he will save us. And then we'll be able to look back and say, that's when we were saved. For in this hope we were saved. What Paul does next in the verse is he kind of defines hope. He says, as you can see there, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Now hope that is seen, that is possessed or experienced, is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees or for what he already has? If you already have what you quote unquote hope for, you're not hoping for it, you already have it. If it's December 15th, you're hoping for a new tie for Christmas. But if it's December 25th and you've already unwrapped the new tie, you're not hoping for it anymore. You already have it, right? You see how this works? What Paul's doing with this is he's telling us that we don't have full redemption yet. And so we hope for it. If we already had it, we wouldn't need to hope for it. But because we don't have it in full, we hope for it. We don't yet experience the fullness of what we will experience in the future as believers. This is sometimes called the already but not yet theme in Scripture. For example, we are already justified, but we are not yet glorified. We are already free from the power of sin, but we are not yet free from the presence of of sin. We've already been adopted, but we've not yet experienced the full adoption as sons that Paul's been talking about in these verses. We've already been raised to new life, but we've not yet experienced the resurrection of the body, and so on. Our hope of full redemption is called a hope because our full redemption is in the not yet column. There are a lot of things in the not yet column, but we shouldn't lose heart when we look at the not yet column because there's plenty in the already column, isn't there? So instead of losing heart, we can take heart. Instead of getting discouraged, we can take courage, trusting that God has already given us everything we need for life and godliness in this fallen world. We have Christ. We have the gospel. We have the Bible. We have the Spirit of God in our hearts. We have the church. We have the communion of saints. We have the means of grace. 
We have access to the throne of grace 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We have justification, adoption, sanctification, along with the several benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from them. From the Shorter Catechism, children, you may remember the definition. Assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, perseverance therein to the end. I'm just reading the already column that we have as believers from Scripture. And above all, we have union and communion with the triune God. There's more to come, things that are not yet part of our experience, and so we hope, but let's not forget all we have already. And let's allow the things in the already column to fuel our hope for what's in the not yet column. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. That's about hope and salvation. Let's see what Paul says next about hope and patience. Our second main point now, hope and patience. Look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. By the way, you may have noticed that the word hope is used both as a noun and as a verb in these verses. If you look over the verses, verse 24, for in this hope, that's a noun, we were saved. Now, hope noun, that is seen is not hope, noun. For who hopes, that's a verb, for what he sees. But if we hope, verb, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I think our brains figure this out instinctively, but when hope is used as a noun, it's talking about what we're hoping for. When hope is used as a verb, it's talking about the hoping itself, the act of hoping. Or to say it another way, the noun refers to what we desire. The verb refers to the desiring itself. So we hope for what is our hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, Paul says, We hope for what we do not see yet or experience yet. We hope for our full redemption. But what does it really mean to hope for our full redemption? Well, it's not about wishful thinking. It's not about putting our trust in God just sort of generally and and hoping for the best, hoping that God is real and he hasn't been lying to us all this time. It's not an I sure hope so, but I could be wrong, kind of hope. It's not a lottery ticket. It's more like a cashier's check. This kind of hope is a confident expectation that God's going to keep his promises. To hope for our full redemption is to eagerly anticipate our full redemption. Not because we hope it's coming, but because we know it's coming. To hope for our full redemption is to expect and to await and to look forward to 
our full redemption, is to believe God's promise and therefore to look forward to the fulfillment of the promise. Faith believes God's promise and hope stands on faith's shoulders and looks out for and looks forward to the fulfillment of the promise. So faith is built on God's promise and hope is built on faith. So kids, if your mom or your dad says to you, I promise to take you to get some ice cream tomorrow, you would start looking forward to getting some ice cream with your mom or dad, wouldn't you? You would look forward to it because you believe your mom or dad. If you didn't believe them, then you wouldn't look forward to it. But because you believe them, because you trust them, you look forward to what they promised you. It's the same with God. God has promised us full redemption. And if we believe his promise, then we start hoping for that full redemption. If we don't believe his promise... That's when we lose hope. So faith fuels hope, and unbelief fuels hopelessness. So if you ever feel hopeless, a good question to ask yourself is, what unbelief is fueling this hopelessness? What am I failing to believe about God? What am I not believing about God, his character, his promises that's leading me to feel so hopeless right now? If the lamp on your nightstand won't turn on, there's no light. It may be that the cord's not plugged in. If there's no hope in your heart, it may be that your faith's not plugged in to the power source of the promises of God. God has promised full redemption. It's when we believe his promise. It's when we trust him to keep his promise that we have hope in our hearts. Paul says near the end of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The God of hope fills us with all joy and peace in believing, in believing him. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to abound in hope. Paul said earlier in this letter, chapter five, verses one through five, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We hope for what we do not see. We hope for what we do not see yet or experience yet. That is our full redemption because God has promised our full redemption and we believe him. We trust him and faith in his promise fuels our hope 
for full redemption. And then notice what Paul says at the end of verse 25. We wait for it with patience. We wait for it, our full redemption, with patience. Because not only do we trust God's promise, we also trust God's timing for the fulfillment of the promise. God is never too slow, nor is he ever too fast. He carries out every detail of his sovereign plan with perfect timing. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. We can wait for our full redemption with patience because we know who's running the universe. It's our God, and he's using every ounce of his wisdom and goodness and love to run the universe. And therefore, we can wait with patience for his promises to be fulfilled, every one of them. Therefore, we can wait not with impatience, irritability, anxiety, restlessness, but with patience perseverance, endurance, confidence, trust, and rest. Like it says in the second half of Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. If you have hope, you can be patient. If you don't have hope, you get frantic. Like a prisoner of war who tries to escape on his first night because he can't imagine living in such conditions for years, because he has no hope of rescue, as opposed to the prisoners who have hope and who wait patiently for the rescue they know will come. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience, Paul says. You know, we live our lives in the middle as Christians. We live our lives in between. We live in the middle between justification on the one side and glorification on the other. We're already justified, but we're not yet glorified. We're right smack dab in the middle. We're being sanctified. As our shorter catechism summarizes Biblical teaching. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. We're already fully justified, but we're not yet 
fully sanctified. We've already started our journey towards the celestial city, but we're not there yet. We're on the road. We're on the journey. As Martin Luther once wrote, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. And that's where we are. That's where you and I are. We're in the middle. We're on the road. We're under construction. We are works in progress. The race has already started, the gun's already gone off, but we haven't crossed the finish line yet. We're still running. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We live our lives in the middle. And one implication of this reality is that we should treat each other with kindness in the body of Christ. We're all works in progress, every single one of us. So we should be patient with each other. We shouldn't get frustrated with each other, give up on each other, write each other off. We shouldn't be arrogant or abrasive or abusive. We shouldn't think that we are better than others. Rather, we should come alongside one another and encourage one another in the body of Christ. We're all fellow strugglers, fellow travelers in the narrow way. We should remind each other of our future hope and challenge each other when necessary not to give up but to keep going. I think one simple way we can all do this is by talking about our future hope together. We could ask each other, what are you looking forward to about heaven? Might be a little awkward to ask that question, but let's not worry about the awkwardness. What are you looking forward to about heaven? What are a few of your favorite Bible verses about our future hope that we were talking about this morning? What books have you read that have helped you long for heaven more? And so on. I think we would be less stagnant about our future hope if we stirred each other up about it more often. As one of the Puritans wrote, it is a pity that Christians should ever meet together without some talk of their meeting in heaven or the way to it before they part. It is a pity so much precious time is spent among Christians in vain discourses, foolish janglings, and useless disputes and not a sober word of heaven among them. Methinks we should meet together on purpose to warm our spirits with discoursing of our rest. Get then together, fellow Christians, and talk of the affairs of your country and kingdom, and comfort one another with such words. If worldlings get together, they will be talking of the world. When wantons are together, they will be talking of their lusts. And wicked men can be delighted in talking of wickedness, And should not Christians then delight themselves in talking of Christ? 
and the heirs of heaven and talking of their inheritance, this may make our hearts revive within us. So let's encourage each other. Let's stir each other up about our future hope. Hope and patience should characterize our life in the middle. Not despair, though we may be tempted to despair at times. Not disappointment, though we experience many disappointments in this life. Not discontentment, though our circumstances are often very difficult. Nor discouragement, though many troubles threaten hard to bear us down. Those things shouldn't characterize our lives as Christians. What should characterize our lives as Christians, as those who are on our way to heaven by the grace of God, is hope and patience. Hope in our full redemption and patience as we wait on the Lord for it to come. So as we draw to a close this morning, let me encourage you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, no matter what your circumstances are this morning, you are never without hope. You are never without the key called hope. If you feel hopeless, remember there's probably some unbelief lurking beneath the surface. Plug in to the promises of God by faith and the light will come on. Hope will come. Meditate on Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Put your hope in the Lord. Put your trust in the promises of God. And be patient. Wait for full redemption with patience. Even if you're feeling the weight of the not yet column, hope in God and be patient. You're exactly where God has planned for you to be. The story he's written for your life by his eternal decree, the page you're on is the page he's planned for you to be on. What you're going through right now is not a misprint or a typo. It is exactly what he's written by his fatherly hand of love. Even if it's a hard part of the story, even if it's a very painful part of the story, which all good stories have. When you read a good story, you come to a part where it seems like all hope is lost. What do you do? What do you do with the book? Do you put the book down and and you say, oh, well, there's no hope for them, for the characters? No, you read on because you know it's all going to come together in the end. You read on with hope. Same for our lives in this fallen world that we live in. When things get hard, we shouldn't give up. We shouldn't throw the book down. We should read on with hope, with full trust and confidence in the author because we know the author. We know he's good. We know he's kind. We know he's wise. 
because we know everything's going to turn out in the end. Let's pray together. Our God, we pray that you would give us hope and patience. More of each than we had when we came here this morning. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a minute to meditate on the word that's been preached and then we'll sing together.